Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, we're broadcasting from our studio inside Renaissance Bank on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta. And speaking of Renaissance Bank, if you're tired of the big bank experience, and if you're at a mega bank, you know what I mean. They really don't want to talk to you if you're a small business. Um, Well, here's an answer for you. Uh, Renaissance Bank. I have found with uh, the clients that I work with that are at Renaissance and my own experience at Renaissance that uh, they're big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them, but small enough to do it in a personal way. Um, they're happy to deal with you in person. So if that's the kind of experience you'd like, then go to renaissancebank.com and find one of their local offices near you and give them a call. And you'll actually be able to set up an appointment. Imagine that, uh, to go in and see them and, uh, to get, uh, uh, the diagnosis on your business and your, the current banking relationship you're, you have and see if Renaissance is a better fit. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. And now I want to welcome Alina Lee. And Alina is with uh, your ad attorney. Alina, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, John. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you. I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, But uh, before we dive into some of the details, let's just give everyone a quick introduction to you and your firm. How are you serving folks out there? I started my own law firm this year after uh, working at a couple large companies in town and a couple of uh, larger law firms in town. And I am the... uh, the owner, the sole owner of my own law firm, your ad attorney. And I am basically your one-stop outside general counsel option for your business. And I have a particular focus in serving businesses that are in the marketing industry or are in the e-commerce business uh, space. And uh, that's because while I am a, a general transactional deal lawyer and I have a particular uh, expertise and experience with marketing law issues and technology law issues. Wow. Let's, let's talk about that journey. Uh, I mean, big law firms, um, corporate counsel at at, uh, some well-known corporations. uh, Talk about what led you to not just start your own firm, but in the niche that you have uh, claimed for yourself? It's been an interesting journey. I've been practicing law for over nine years now after graduating from Vanderbilt Law School in 2012. And I worked at a couple of very reputable law firms, Rogers and Hardin and Morris Manning and Martin, uh, primarily doing M&A. And when I was at Morris Manning, primarily tech M&A, um, I got a really great opportunity to work with a lot of very large brands in the Atlanta area and also work in different practice areas. Um, In addition to mergers and acquisitions work, I was doing securities regulation work, corporate restructuring, uh, 
some corporate governance work and a little bit of real estate finance work. And it gave me a really good foundation uh, that I was then able to leverage when I went in-house. And I served in two different in-house roles. First, I was at Southern Company Gas's subsidiary, Georgia Natural Gas. Mm -hmm. Uh, They actually operate in seven states as South Star Energy, and they have different DBAs in each of those states. And I, myself and one other attorney, we handled all of the legal matters for the retail side of the natural gas business. And it was, it was an incredible experience. I mean, whatever legal issues popped up and there were, there were many and varied, uh, you know, myself and my, my colleague, we had to handle it. And through that experience, I was able to learn about a lot of other, you know, a lot of different areas of law. And that's when I started doing a lot more work in the marketing law space. Uh, when mm. you're when you're an in-house attorney for a retail company, uh, a, a big bulk of the work is, is marketing specific. And then I also just developed a niche in helping. I was the, you know, I handled a lot of the technology agreements and custom application development agreements for our subsidiary. And because I gained that expertise, I was able to start doing more of that at the parent company level as well um, and started getting a lot more involved in data security law and data privacy law um, to really kind of round out the skill sets that are related to you know, what a modern e-commerce company really needs. They really need an attorney that understands not just, you know, the technology law issues, but understands their business, understands the marketing, legal compliance issues, understands data privacy and data security, in addition to being able to draft and negotiate their contracts um, and keep them out of uh, legal trouble. And, I was at Southern Company for almost five years before I transitioned over to MailChimp. And for those of you who don't know, MailChimp is one of the largest, uh, if not the largest from a number of customers perspective, a company that provides basically like free or affordable digital marketing services to small businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have something like over 10 million customers around the world. And I was hired to be their marketing attorney and also to uh, be the primary attorney over two of their departments, obviously the marketing department, but also their partnerships and agencies department. And I helped with some of the more complex, uh, like new custom applications that they were developing from a legal compliance perspective. Um, So I was doing all of that for nine years before I decided to start my own law firm this year. And I, I was really, you know, just like a lot of entrepreneurs, it was passion that was driving me. I wanted to be able to serve more people. I loved my in-house experience, but um, I felt that there was a big need in the market for attorneys who have very solid in-house, a well-rounded in-house experience. Most of the attorneys that are available to small business owners and medium-sized business owners are, for example, you know, they, they're the attorney that helps them get formed or like their mergers and acquisitions attorney, if they've been, they've been growing, but they may not have access to an attorney that, you know, 
that understands how businesses operate, because a lot of times most of these attorneys have only worked at law firms they've never been in-house before. Um, So I felt like I had a special skill set, especially with my marketing law experience and my technology law experience, that um, I could provide a valuable service. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm surprised you had the energy to start your own firm after all that. <laughs> Alita, uh, wow, I, I'm, I'm exhausted listening to all that. Uh, what a, what a, a great experience. And, and you're so right. I mean, there's so much that happens between formation and acquiring a company or, or selling your company, of course. I mean, uh, there's a whole lot that happens. So, uh, that, that's terrific. Let's talk about, marketing specifically. And I guess maybe the way to dive into this is just talk about some of the the um, pitfalls that you see business owners stepping into when it comes to their marketing and uh, the legality around their marketing. So, it really depends on the business and it depends on the type of marketing activity that that you're engaging in. But mm-hmm. I would say if you're an e-commerce business, especially, it's very important that you consider what, what you're saying on your website to get people to buy your product or services. And because that is your contract between your company and your customers, just like most other companies, if you were to buy their service, if they were not an e-commerce company, usually you would sign a contract with them if it's if you're doing enough business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, e-commerce companies really need sometimes they kind of just forget that step. They just set up their e-commerce store and they're like, well, here's a picture of the product or you know, a description of the service, and then here's the price point. And then they don't think about what contractual terms they really need in order to to protect themselves and also set clear expectations with their customers and clients, which reduces, you know, which impacts their reputation and their brand um, and their ability to generate revenue going forward. And so from a marketing perspective, it's very important to, to consider what your marketing is saying not only from a legal compliance perspective of not being misleading to people or not creating customer confusion, uh, legal like that is legally problematic, but there's also the layer of considering what you're saying from the perspective of building trust with your clients, uh, the, the, the ethical and transparency components of your messaging and balancing that with, of course, creating an enticing message that will uh, cause people to want to click the buy button as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, um, I like the way you put that because what you're basically saying, uh, if I hear you correctly, is um, it's fine to sell. It's fine to talk about the problems you solve. um, But You've got to make sure that you've got some backing behind that, um, and and you're reasonable in in what you're um, offering and the language you're using. I think that if you know my recommendation in general is if at least two thousand people are going to be looking at that particular marketing piece, um, and or you're providing a promotion 
like, for example, a, like a special offer, like, for example, buy one, get one free for a limited time, get 30% off on these particular services, or you're doing like a sweepstakes or giveaway. So for example, uh, you know, provide your name, email address and physical address, and you'll be entered into this giveaway for, I don't know, $1,000 Amazon gift card or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I highly recommend that you have a marketing attorney review those to make sure that that you're not being misleading and that you have the appropriate legal terms and legal protection. So you're not over promising um, because that is the common issue. People don't hire an attorney. They're not including the exclusions that they really need to be providing or that they're not describing the offer limitations sufficiently. And then people think it's a lot broader than it actually is. And then when those people can't redeem the offer, or they're told no, that creates legal issues for folks. Yeah, And um, marketing is regulated at the federal level by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. It's regulated at the state level by the attorney general's offices of each state. And um, individual people can, of course, file lawsuits and class action lawsuits as well. So those are the types of risks that you're trying to avoid. I will say, of course, like, and I think this is why the materiality standard is important. If you're too small or it's such a small campaign that there isn't like really enough dollars behind it, the risks that, you know, there's going to be an investigation, or there's going to be a lawsuit start going down, right? And then the bigger it is, then the more legal risk you have. And that's uh, why, folks, uh, you need to give Alina Lee a call to see what you need to be worried about, right? Uh, uh, Alina is uh, the founder of Your Ad Attorney. Um, so, Alina, we were talking off the air. You 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 mentioned uh, that twenty as as little as twenty percent of, I think you said, uh, folks that look at a particular um, advertisement website, whatever. It, it, that bottom 20% is what you've got to be worried about. Say more about what I'm getting to there. Sure. A lot of people think like, oh, well, the people that I know or my friends wouldn't be confused by this marketing piece or this advertisement. Well, guess what, um, Mr. or Mrs. Business Owner? Uh, you know, you are not the average person. <laughs> You're already spectacular by the fact that, you know, you've gone out and started your own business. Um, the people in your circle probably are also not the average American. And so you, just because you're not confused doesn't mean that out of all the people who review your ad, uh, many of them potentially being just more average everyday Americans with a high school education or who maybe English is their second language, you know, would those people be confused? All of those. And, and that is like kind of basically the bottom 20% of folks that you need to be worried about. And I always tell my clients, like a good rule of thumb is try to, of course, ideally you would want a hundred percent of people to understand uh, and not be confused. But of course that is not realistic. I think targeting 95% is a good rule of thumb, but you really start to stray into legal issues. The closer you get to 20% or more uh, being confused by your message. So let's talk, uh, switch gears here and talk about 
trademarks and copyrights. And, and uh, I think some folks may not know the difference. So let's get into the difference there. But you also um, bring into this discussion publicity rights. So let's talk about that as well. Sure. So I also provide intellectual property counseling um, besides patents. I am not a patent attorney, but soft IP, everything else I can help you with. And most every business is going to have a trademark, right? So trademark law protects your business name, your logo, your tagline, and it can also potentially include in certain special cases, things like, um, like colors. Um, for example, UPS is a famous example there. They have trademarked their color brown. Um, but for most average businesses, you're wanting to protect your logo, your brand names, your business name, and your tagline. And those are protected by trademark law. Um, what most people don't realize is you actually can get trademark protections immediately without paying any legal fees. But if you want broader protections, it is recommended that you uh, file for a trademark registration with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And um, you know, I'd be happy to to assist with that. But there's when you're thinking about trademark risk, there's really two components to it. The first is when you're picking your name before you start paying, you know, your marketing agencies and folks to start, you know, putting it all over your websites and your marketing materials, you want to make sure you're not infringing on somebody else's name. Sure. So you really want to pay an attorney to do a legal search to make sure that you don't, you're not actually infringing on somebody else's trademark. First of all, that happens all the time because guess what? Like great names are great names and other people think of, are very likely to think of the same amazing, great name as you. And so it's very important to do that because if you don't, you'll probably at some point get an angry demand letter from that company saying, you're stealing my name and you're profiting off of my marketing and branding and you're engaging in trademark infringement. Um, please stop. And then you get sucked, you could get sucked into a lawsuit that costs, you know, $70,000, for example, which is well, kind of a normal cost for these suits. Uh, oh, that's a good number to know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's important for folks to understand those letters, those demand letters come from folks that have a bigger budget than you do. I mean, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, you yes. work for a couple of those companies, um, that have met, you know, mega companies that have big in-house legal counsel and, and, um, they, uh, are delighted to write those letters and, uh, you don't have their same budget. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. And so you want to first make sure that your existing logo and name and brand names are not infringing on other people's. Once that is out of the way, then you you can determine what level of protection you want. Do you want just the free protections, which ben- generally just protect you for the specific types of products and services that you're selling and the specific geographic area in which you have you know, the majority of your customers? Or if you file for a registration and and pay fees. Usually it's about, you know, $1,200 to $2,500. You can get national protection across the entire country and you, you can get your protections also 
span across like different, what's called different classes. And they're basically different categories that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office have like predetermined. And you can get protection within that specific class, which generally is going to be broader than the specific products and services that you're selling. So it would include uh, products and services that are similar to the ones you're selling, but not they don't have to be an exact match. Um, I would say it's not a good idea to pay for that unless you know you're going to use that name or logo for at least five years. Mm. Um, and if you haven't decided for sure you're going to use that name or logo for at least five years, it probably makes sense to hold off unless you really, really want to make sure that nobody steals your name in the interim. Um, but it's just because if you don't actively continue to use that name, um, you will not be able to renew your registration with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So then you're just going to lose those rights anyway. So then why did you pay for them? <laughs> yeah, <with>? right, <laughs> right. Uh, Le- um, yeah. Oh, I was going to talk about the copyrights unless. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I did ask that question. So thank you, Alina. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um. So so copyright laws protect the the words that are, for example, in your marketing materials, mm-hmm. um, excluding the, the branding components that I discussed with the trademarks. So the, the includes photographs, music, um, and words, for example, are the most common categories and they have to be original works. So, and again, actually copyright protection is, is automatically, um, automatically attaches to whoever created that original work at the time that they create it. Uh, So that's great. And you can register your copyright, but the only like the main and really like one of the primary reasons why you would want to do that is if you, you think that people are going to infringe on your work, you actually need to register it in order to file a lawsuit to protect your copyrighted work. So a lot of times like musicians um, or artists will proactively register their work because they anticipate that people are going to steal their work without Mm. paying for it. Got it. Or like books and magazines will also for similar reasons, proactively um, file for copyright registration. Mm -hmm. And then publicity rights are things related related to, um, you know, for example, your name, your, your likeness, which means like the general way that you look, your voice, any nicknames that you have. Um, and it's basically people's ability to like leverage and market your identity. Mm. And so this type of, this area of law applies a lot of people don't think it applies to their business, but it does because most businesses use testimonials. And guess what? When you're using when you're using your customers' testimonials in your marketing, you're leveraging their intellectual property rights in their identity. You're, you're, um, they have publicity rights in their name and in the testimonial that they provided to you. So you want to make sure. Uh, that you have a publicity waiver in place that they've signed saying that they're allowing you to use their name. And, you know, for example, if it's a voice, video recording, whatever it is that you have permission to use that uh, in your marketing. Otherwise, they can ask you to take it down or sue you for for using it without their permission. Sure, sure. Um, so just um, w- one question about uh, 
mar- misleading marketing claims. Um, let's get back to that for a second. Um, because I can hear somebody saying, Hey, Alina, I've got like the, the little, uh, three point print here at the bottom of the website or brochure. Uh, I've got fine print. I've got disclosure that, uh, uh, really fixes the problem. So why do I need to worry about that? I do a whole marketing law training where I go into this in a lot more detail, but, um, no, I mean, the way the marketing laws are written is that like the totality of how, you know, of what's being presented is, is like, is considered from like a practical perspective and disclosures, especially fine print disclosures, usually will not help if that's where you're hiding like material information. So the more material the information, the more it needs to be in your main headline or very, very close to your main headline in a place where like literally people cannot miss it. So for example, if you are doing a limited time offer, the law requires you to include in your, your the headline itself cannot be material mislead, materially misleading. So it needs to include all material limitations. In the headline itself, um, the offer expiration date also needs to be in the headline or in very close proximity. So immediately to the right or immediately below the headline, you need to know when the offer is going to expire and you need to like adequately disclose like who's eligible and then how you can obtain the, the offer. Um, and then usually there's a very long list of exclusions (laughs) for most offers. Um, and you know, the more you put the material disclosures in your fine print, uh, the more likely it is that your messaging is going to be considered legally misleading and your disclosures will not save you. Um, you know, it is really more of a belts and suspenders approach. Um, it's only for very like basically rare circumstances that you just want to make sure you're covered, but it will not apply to most people who are reading it. Those types of things can be put in the fine print and the fine print still need to be at least nine point font. (laughs) If you want to (laughs) avoid legal issues, they cannot be three point font, nine point font or above. Um, And they have to stand out and they have to be easily visible. So yeah, no, fine print uh, does generally is not terribly helpful. You still need it for like, like I said, those rare circumstances that you're trying to just make sure you're covering your bases, but all the material disclosures need to be upfront. So what about if I am working as a lot of small and medium sized businesses do, they work with agencies, they work with independent contractors who design logos for them or, um, uh, supply videos, photography, um, um, copy, uh, for their website or, or blog or what have you, how do I protect myself so that I own that property? Great question. Uh, so what you need to do is you need to make sure you have a contract with all of those agencies and all of those independent contractors. And you would want to make sure that the contract says that any work that they create that's within the scope of the contract will be owned 100% by you. Because if you don't have a contract or your contract does not specifically say that and doesn't include the magic legal words, the default is that your independent contractor or the marketing agency actually owns 
all of the intellectual property that they're creating, and they're only licensing that to you for the particular purpose for which it was created. So mm-hmm. this is actually a really common issue for um, actually like magazines and newspapers. A lot of the photographers that do work for magazines and newspapers are only providing a license for the magazine to use that photograph in a specific issue. They cannot actually use those photographs for other marketing purposes or for any purpose that is not directly tied to the news story for which it was created, um, it's, which is very, very narrow, right? It's yeah. a one, one use thing. And, and of course, it goes all the way up until like broader uses. If you don't have a contract, uh, you hire a marketing agency to, you know, design your, I mean, for example, like logos, you would absolutely want to make sure whoever's designing your logo, like you own that. You don't want to be like licensing your logo from your, from the designer. The only way to protect yourself from that is to have a solid contract that says the right things. Um. I'm sure you scared some folks right there on that one, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's not uh, too late. You can fix it now. <laughs> that's right, and and we'll we're going to tell you how to get in touch with Alina here shortly, folks. But uh, before we let you go, one more thing I want to bring up, and that's social media, Alina. What 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 legal pitfalls exist for business owners with social media? People, oh, this is such a great question, and. For whatever reason, people think like, oh, I do social media. I'm personally on Facebook or I'm personally on LinkedIn. Like marketing laws don't apply. And that is not true at all. Actually, all of the laws and restrictions that I just mentioned apply to your social media just the same. In fact, there's more requirements for social media. Really? Yes. Yes, there are very specific laws and parameters that you have to stay in, stay within for your social media marketing. Um, One example that I love is Cardi B actually got fined for some um, influencer marketing that she was doing for a company called T-Me. And basically the gist of the ad was... uh, Timmy helped me lose weight and now I've got this like amazing body, blah, blah. And it's just tea, tea, uh, Timmy sells tea products that don't have calories. Mm -hmm. So guess what? If you're only drinking tea with no calories, you're probably going to lose weight. Um, And they, she did not, um, she did actually disclose that she was, that it was like a paid ad, but when you like, I think it was, I think it was on Facebook and Instagram that she was that she was paid to do these influencer posts. Um, the disclosure that it was a paid ad didn't appear until you clicked the little button that said like more. So normally when you go on a social media, there's kind of like your general feed, right? Mm-hmm. And usually there's only like a very short blurb. So there's the photograph and then there's like a blurb. And usually that blurb is only like 10 to 12 words or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to actually disclose that it's a paid ad within those first 10 to 12 words. She had it like the 14th or 15th word. So you had to click the little more button to see that it was a paid ad. She got fined like, oh, gosh, I have to look it up. But it was like something like $50,000. And then Team Me got, um, got fined for millions of dollars, actually. they um, The FTC, because Team Me is not a large company, um, Relatively speaking, they dialed it back to a $1 million fine, but their original fine would have put them out of business. Mm. Wow. 
Okay. Uh, that's just one example of many uh, pitfalls with social media. <laughs> I can see folks scrolling through their uh, social media feeds right now, uh, uh, checking it out and seeing if they need to call Alina. Alina Lee with your ad attorney. Wow. Alina, uh, you've, uh, uh, I'm sure got a lot of folks thinking and wondering and, uh, probably some folks that want to be in touch. So let's get to that most important question. How can they get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your, you and your services? Well, my website is your ad attorney.com Y O U R A D attorney.com. And you can go on my website and in the upper right corner, you can click schedule a call and you can actually schedule a free 15 minute call with me um, over Zoom. And I would love to chat with you, learn more about your business, see how I can help. And, um, and you can also email me directly at alina at youradattorney.com. And that's A-L-I-N-A at your ad ad attorney.com. Alina Lee folks, uh, with your ad attorney, uh, Alina, this has been great. And, uh, uh, thanks for the great work you do. And, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Hey folks, just a uh, quick reminder. If you're looking for something a little better than the drive-through, for your meal tonight. Um, actually, if you're looking for something a lot better, um, and you don't want to go broke getting it, I've got a great, uh, offer for you. And that is to go over and check out the website at ANS culinary concepts, AS culinary concepts.com is, uh, uh, their URL, the website, and, uh, they're a culinary studio and they do corporate catering and corporate team building. And they do, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, terrific work on the corporate side, but they also offer lettuce cook for you meals. And, uh, basically what that means is, uh, you go on their website, check out their menu of the day, make your selection and you go by and pick it up, uh, that afternoon on your way home. They're right there in Johns Creek on Jones Bridge Road. Uh, great location. Uh, if you're in the Johns Creek Alpharetta area, um, they're real, real easy to get to. Give them a call, 678-336-9196, or just go to their website and check it out. They've got a different menu every day, and I know personally that they're terrific. Uh, folks, just a quick reminder, we're coming up on show number 400 for North Fulton Business Radio. We're excited about that. Um, and if you are new to the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe. Uh, go find the show on your uh, favorite podcast app. North Fulton Business Radio is a search term, uh, and we're on all the major apps. So uh, check us out and subscribe to the show, uh, and we'd love to have you as a regular listener. And if you'd like to be in touch with me, you can email me at jray at businessradiox.com. So for my guest, Alina Lee, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.